lesson this morning, I would like to take the opportunity to encourage everyone here this morning to attend Bible classes, to attend Wednesday night, and to attend Sunday morning. You never know what your presence could mean to someone, and you never know what the questions you might ask someone else might have. I encourage you to partake in class, to study the lessons that are prepared there, and both books. You just never know what your influence might be. Today, in our sermon, we are going to talk about an individual's influence. And the title of today's lesson is If I Were the Devil. If I Were the Devil. The inspiration for this lesson comes from a man's speech that he gave 60 years ago. Now I want you to listen to the speech as I give it to you. He begins by saying, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. Me. <clears throat> so I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what is bad is good, and what is good is quick. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, who art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make literary literature exciting, so that anything else would seem to be pure dull and uninteresting. I'd thread TV with dirtier movies, and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could, I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the West with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in his turn was consumed. And with the promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild. And until before you know it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every school. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon, I could evict God from the courthouse, and then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress and in his own churches. I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive 
of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get the whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes of hard work and patriotism and immoral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I just keep on doing what he's been doing. That speech was given by Mr. Paul Harvey in 1965. Think about that. 1965. My mother wasn't born yet. I am 20 years, 21 years later, I will be born. If you think about that speech in today, you think, man, that's almost prophetic. But then you realize this is what Paul Harvey sees in his time. It just shows you how consistent and evil the devil is. He hasn't reinvented his tricks. He still has used the same tricks that he's always used. The speech is meant to be a warning for the United States and its destruction. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of spiritual destruction that takes place in this speech. It begins with the individual sinning and having that become their nature. As Clay has said before, you destroy the family, you destroy the communities, you destroy towns, cities, and up to the nation. All it takes is sin to become natural. And we're well on that path. This speech echoes 1 Peter 5 8. The devil is a warring, lying, looking for someone to devour. He doesn't care how he wins. He just wants to win, is what a brother has been telling me lately. He just wants to win. As we discussed, he's going to use some of this same tricks and usual schemes. In today's summary, we're going to look at some of the points in the speech. There are many applications from the speech that we can pick out and we can go deep into. We're going to look at the sins of idolatry, fornication, sexual morality, drunkenness, with drugs and alcohol, and the worship of self. We will see the devil use these sins to cause division, disease, and death. As he said in the speech, families will fight internally, churches will fight internally, and nations will fight internally. The first point we're going to look at today, I will whisper to you as I whisper to you. Do as you please. Turn to Genesis 3, and beginning in verse 1, we'll read there. It's probably a well-known story to most of us, a well-known account, I should say. Pick it up in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hath God indeed said to you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, for the fruit of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. From my understanding of this passage, Eve understands God's command here. She understands it. 
Notice what the serpent does. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In the high school class, I told the kids, Notice God didn't need to get Eve to steal, kill, lie, commit adultery. What does the serpent need her to do? Doubt God's word. He doesn't have to make her commit any other sins. The first sin is doubting God's word. He just needed her to doubt it. That if what she did and what she wanted had no consequence, and she could do as she pleased, what does it interfere? We've heard that before in this time. I did it because it made me feel good. I have the right to be happy. I can do as I please. That is not the attitude that we should have. Continuing on that point, Mr. Harvey mentions to the young, he would whisper that the Bible is a myth and that man created God. This is not a new thought in 1965. Look at Romans chapter 1, the beginning of verse 20. <clears throat> Notice here. Again, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that we are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were faithful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their fuelless hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Go down to verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. This thought that the Bible is a myth, that man created God, or has changed God for man, is not a new thought in 1965. It is not a new thought in 2023. Look around you. You can see the design that God has made on this planet. You can see his attributes in creation. The devil wants us not only to believe that we are not creator, we are not created, we are creator. <clears throat> We made God up. We have never made nothing, something out of nothing. We have never spoke life into existence. The psalmist reminds us in Psalms 118 and verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than trust in man. Trust the creator, not the creation. Mr. Harvey Speaks then mentions the devil would encourage us to have the attitude of what bad is good and what's good is square. Notice the warning we have in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Opening of that verse says, Woe. Stop. Don't do it. There's some repercussions for doing this. 
We are called to, to not celebrate evil, but not to praise it. We call it out. We are not to make those things that are good to be lame or square or eh, whatever. I want you to bring your attention to Ezekiel chapter 3. And pick it up in verse 16. That's Ezekiel 3. Notice what the Lord tells Ezekiel. That's Ezekiel 3, pick up verse 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Continuing in verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. You will have delivered your soul. That doesn't seem like the attitude of what's good is bad and bad is square should be celebrated. It sounds like we should be warning people, right? Watch out for your wickedness. Don't turn from your righteous way. Don't let the world beat you down. Jesus, then let there be confusion between what is good and what is evil. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. And we'll pick up verse 43. That's Luke chapter 6 and beginning in verse 43. Beginning there. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the goodness of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Sound like there is a clear distinction of what is evil is evil, and what is good is good, and there should be no confusion upon that. Right? A good tree does not bear bad fruit. A bad tree does not bear good fruit. What is in a man's heart and desires is what he is. We should always be able to speak the truth and encourage those to do the same. Call what is good is good and what is bad is bad. The next point in Mr. Harvey's speech that we're going to talk about is to our Father who art in Washington. Mr. Harvey is making the point here that some people's full reliance will become on government. Their full hope and reliance will become on government. They will trade God for the government. 
Think about that. Think about what he says here from the model prayer. Instead of our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in Washington. The government will become some people's gods. Think about that, though, as we read Daniel 2. and pick up verse 20. It's Daniel 2, verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for the wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So instead of having full reliance on the God who gives government's power, you're going to give it to the entity itself. Turn over to Romans chapter 3, verse 1. That's Romans 3, verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and that the authorities that are exist are appointed by God. In some translations it says powers there. The power comes from God. You might be thinking, well, Trey, you just told us to be subject to the government. You should be until it comes up against God. When man's laws contradict God's laws, we should rebel. Notice the apostles. Turn over to Acts 4. And we'll pick up in verse 18. That's Acts 4, verse 18. Beginning there, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. These apostles are not answering random people. They're answering the governing body of the Jewish nation. They're answering the Sanhedrin here. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. Look over to chapter 5, beginning on verse 26. <clears throat> Again, then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered, We ought to obey God rather than men. And continuing, Epigamaliel tells the council that if it's from God, you can't defeat it, and if it's not of God, it will be destroyed. And they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here's the important part. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, if our obedience is limited, should not our reliance be limited? Should our reliance be fully involved in something that we should not have full obedience to? Look at what, what Jesus says about God's kingdom in Matthew 6. 
and verse 25. He talks about our needs here and where we should put our faith and our trust. It says, picking up verse 25 of Matthew 6, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not this life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Rich in you by worrying can add one cubit to the stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Have your trust in God. Seek after God, and your needs will be provided for. Paul echoes this to the Philippians. Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He shall supply all of your needs. Philippians 4.19. Why should we not have our full obedience and full reliance on God who provides all of our needs? Why put it anywhere else? The next point, Mr. Harvest Speech, we're going to look at today is that what you see on TV is the way to be. That what you see on TV is the way to be. Mr. Harvey was afraid that TV would make sin more popular. That sin would become more easy. That you would see it on TV and say, well, that's okay. I can do it too. That was his fear, his speech. That sin would become more mainstream. He was afraid about sexual morality. He says so in his speech. Imagine what Mr. Harvey would think about the internet and social media. Imagine what his fears would be then. Think about it. Sexual morality has been seen as normal. And oftentimes you should be celebrating it. We have a whole month called Pride Month. Look at Paul's message to the Thessalonians. Remember Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll read verses 1 through 5. Paul's message to the Thessalonians is highly different from the message we get from the TV. It says, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you receive from us how you are to walk and please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual morality, 
that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. <clears throat> Two things I want you to pick up on here, that you should abound more and more. You should be growing more and more, doing more and more that is good. Then you should control your urges. The TV's message is not that. The TV message echoes the message we read earlier. Do as you please. Do what feels good. Right? What makes you happy, do. Now we could go into the divorce rate that Mr. Harvey mentions here. Swinging and all that. I don't think he'd be too surprised. He could see that coming. But I think he wouldn't be surprised by the LGBTQ movement and the influence it has on the culture. He doesn't even mention that in our speech. Think about that. Think about how mainstream that has become in the last 10 years. Did you know that Gen Z has the highest percentage of LGBTQ members of it in a recent poll? It's almost double what millennials have. What would you attribute that to? Think about all the media campaigns that highlight and celebrate those things. The Word of God has a very different opinion of the LGBTQ movement. It's called shameful. It's called an abomination. It's listed on things that are unholy. Turn over to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read verse 26 and 27. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to all passions. For even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, even the natural use of woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of error which is due. Look over to Leviticus chapter 18. It's described as an abomination. It says, You shall not lie with a male as a woman. It is an abomination. And our last verse we'll look at, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll read verses 8 through 11. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for the murderers of fathers, the murderers of murderers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Look what it's listed with. It's listed with the ungodly, sinners for the unholy and profane, for murders and fathers, murderers and mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, liars, and perjurers. Those are a list of unholy things. We can see how the devil has used media to promote sin. And how easily he does it. It becomes tolerable. It becomes acceptable. And lastly, it becomes celebrated. 
we should not celebrate these things. We should be different. The last statement in Mr. Harvey's speech we're going to look at today is, I peddle narcotics to whom I could, and I sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. You may be thinking to yourself, why does, why does the devil care about that? Why does the devil care if you're doing drugs and drinking alcohol? Well, go back to 1 Peter 5.8. What's, what's the first command in that verse? Be sober and vigilant. Be sober and vigilant. Some translation says watchful. <clears throat> you can't be watchful if you're not in your right mind. Right? We've heard this uses before. Oh, you can't count that against me. I was drunk. Oh, I was high. I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't in my right mind. I'd been drinking all day. We've heard people make those speeches. At least I know I have. That is contrary to what we are called to be. We're warned through the Bible by the dangers of alcohol. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. That's Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. It says there, wine is a mocker. Strong drink, some translation says beer, is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. If you let wine and alcohol and drugs control you, you are not wise. Turn over to chapter, excuse me, to Proverbs 23. And we're going to read verses 29 through 35. That's Proverbs 23. Beginning there. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has made wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in a cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. And steams like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. And your heart will utter perverse things. We talked about it a while ago. It changes your mind, it changes your heart's desires, it changes you. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 13, in verse 13. It says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and rust, not in strife and envy. Those things were mentioned this morning in class by Clay. It almost echoes exactly. Do not be drunk. Do not be caught in it. Drunkenness is mentioned in several passages for those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, that should be enough to avoid those things. Let me add to it. Sadly, we know that many people have died due to drugs and alcohol abuse. We've heard stories of people's lives being ended to overdosing on drugs and others causing drug and driving accidents and taking the lives of themselves and others. We also know the sad stories of the physical harm that drugs and alcohol abuse can cause the body. 
I want you to, to hear two passages this morning about the body and what Paul writes about it. First, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you are using drugs and alcohol to destroy your body, you're not following this passage. Look what he writes to the Romans. He writes to live, have their body a living and holy sacrifice. That's Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You cannot present yourself a living sacrifice if you go and eat on drugs, if you have killed yourself in a drunken car accident. Do not let Drugs and alcohol take away your ability to serve God. That's the whole point of this life, is to serve God. Do not let these two things take that from you. You aren't so much concerned for your body if you are. There are more applications we can make from this speech. There are some really vile and grievous sins mentioned. There are some dangers that we should avoid in this speech. These are just a part that we've talked about. Now, the speech is mainly a warning for Americans and the destruction of their country. But for the Christian, there are spiritual ramifications here. There are some severe spiritual ramifications. And we can see it in our everyday life. We can see how the culture has been molded by the devil here. It's a good reminder that we have an active enemy. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not. We've heard Mr. Harvey's thoughts, if he was the devil. We've seen the evils that he has mentioned here. But let me tell you, if I were the devil, if I were the devil, I would be afraid. I would be desperate. I would know that in the end I lose, and my time is limited. Here's a comfort for you. Revelations chapter 20 and verse 10. We see the fate of the devil. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone where the beast and the cross prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is his fate. He knows that. He knows it. That's the reason why he is so hungry for your soul. That's why he is in such a rush to get it. Misery loves company. We may know his fate, but he hasn't lost yet. He's still active. Don't underestimate him. I don't want to leave you today with no hope. With making the enemy seem like he is some great calamity that we cannot resist. 
I want to talk to you about how to resist them a little bit. James writes in chapter 4 of his epistle and verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and 27, Give no place for the devil. Don't let him in here. Don't give him a home to be. In that same epistle, in chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul writes to put on the armor of God and resist the devil. We talk about the armor. In verse 14 of chapter 6, we see what the whole armor consists of. It consists of girding your waist with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, shodding your feet with preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts from the evil one, and the helmet of salvation, and lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is the armor to help you resist the devil. If you are here today, and you never applied that armor to your life, You have no hope to resist him. He's going to beat you. If you're here today and you let your armor get worn out, you've discarded some pieces of it, he's going to beat you too. You're not going to be able to resist him. That armor is very important in resisting the devil. Now, if you're sitting here today and you've never put on Christ, you've never come forward and Confess your belief in Christ, repented of your sins, and been baptized in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why tarry? Why delay? The devil's happy that you are there because you have no hope of resisting him. And if you're sitting here today and that armor has become weak, you've discarded some of it, come forward. Make your needs be known to us. Let us help you repair your armor. You're going to need it. The devil's happy if you don't, though. Because misery loves home. If you have need, we actually come as we stand and sing the song of Spencer.